Hey there, and welcome to Queer I Am Lord, a brand new show where two or more gather to Kiki in God's name. I'm Jorge Olivares of HeyJorge.com, and today I'm joined by a fellow Catholic who I met last year, I believe. Now, just to give a bit of backstory, so the past few years I was living in New York City and was a part of a wonderful LGBTQ ministry called Out at St. Paul's. Now, it is the LGBTQ group for the parish of St. Paul the Apostle in New York City, and every year we have this retreat. And as part of the retreat where we invite other LGBTQ Catholics to come, there is a portion of the retreat where we have testimonials, where we hear from members of our community to talk about who they are, their own experiences, and depending on the theme of the weekend for the retreat, kind of talk about that a little bit more with regards to how it impacts them. And that is how I knew and came to know of Gabby Horton. Now, Gabby is somebody whose story is one that I've never heard before, so I'm excited to share her story. We'll have her share her story with you here today. Um, but it is something that I think goes towards this idea that when you are somebody who is a woman within the church, a queer woman within the church, and Gabby did talk about this during the course of her, her talk last year, like, talk about the marginalization that comes with all of these identities, particularly in a church that's ruled by patriarchy. So excited to have Gabby on to talk about a little bit about the conversation she had with us last year, but also how things have been since then, because obviously pandemic has happened, quarantine has happened. Um, a lot of the opportunities I would have had to interact with Gabby on a physical level have no longer been there. So it'll be good to get an update from Gabby Horton about her wonderfully queer life. Yes, we did meet last year before the pandemic hit. Um, we had a wonderful retreat. I think that was that was like the type of community that I had been searching for uh, ever since I had an inkling that I wasn't straight, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to let go either parts of the, of, I didn't want to have to let go of my Catholicism and I didn't want to have to let go of the LGBTQ part of me. And for most of my life, and I touched upon this in the talk and I'll talk a little bit about my story and, and what I talked about in the talk, but I always thought that those were two separate circles of a Venn diagram. You have your sexuality and you have your faith and there's no overlapping middle part. They have to be separate. They cannot intersect. <laughs> and if they do intersect, that's not the best, or at least that's what I had thought. But to give a little background on, on my story and, and what I talked about during that talk. So I've been a cradle Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic school for 10 years. I think it gave me a foundation for my faith, but at the same time, it turned it into an obligation um, because it was Catholic school and it was okay. You, get, you, uh, you go to church on the holy days of obligation, like we'll take time out of the day to go to church. And um, you know, you get up every, every morning and before the day starts, you say that our father, Hail Mary and the Pledge of Allegiance. And <laughs> talk about which, the whirlwind of like, oh my gosh, you know, the patriotic thing, the parochial thing, all mm -hmm. the Yes. And I, I don't think I realized until much later in life, I was like, not everybody did that. And people were like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. It's so funny. But so, yeah, it, it gave me a good basis for my faith. But at the same time, like I said, a little bit of an obligatory kind of feeling as well. Um, and I, I went to my high school youth group and it was a, not just the social factor, but also learning more about God and religion and your religion. Um, and I really liked my youth group. There were so many good people. I made so many good friends. Um, and I would consider that a pivotal part of my high school years. 
and I, I remember thinking my freshman year, I'm going to be on the executive board my senior year. I want to do that. And it came full circle. And I did. And I went on several retreats while in high school um, with my youth group. And I gave some talks at those sharing my experience, whether it be um, feelings of otherness in terms of me being adopted or feelings of otherness in not looking like the other people in my town. Um, Cause I'm from a very white town uh, in suburban New Jersey. And so I guess I didn't know at the time why I felt that was maybe like internalized racism towards my myself or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, but just feelings of otherness is definitely like a theme of what I had talked about during those talks in high school. And when I got into college, I didn't realize, I stopped going to church for a little bit and realized that something was missing. And so I, I walked into the Catholic center at my um, college and I met some of my best friends there. Um, there's people I still talk to to this day. I mean, I'm only a year out of college, so I would hope that I'm still talking to them. <laughs> I would hope I'm still friends with people I was just talking to last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I met some really great people there, but it also um, did a little war on my heart as well because those were some of the most strict Catholic people I had ever met. Um, and I, was, I would go and say conservative Catholics and, and there's nothing wrong with being a conservative Catholic or a liberal Catholic. I, your journey with God is your journey with God as long as it doesn't affect mine. Mm -hmm. in that, at, at least that's how I think of it. While that time um, with those people in college was so fruitful, like I said, some amazing friendships from that. And I think it taught me to um, be a little bit more serious with my faith and more intentional um, rather than just, you know, doing lip service kind of thing. Like, oh, uh, I do this, I do that, and I'll put the Catholic stamp on and, and, and call, it, call it a day kind of thing. But I think there was some intentionality that those relationships taught me. But it also made me super scared, too, to ever come out to them. <laughs> I can imagine. Like, I, I think there's something to be said, and I'm very glad you made this point, about you could be a conservative Catholic, you can be a liberal Catholic, you can have the mo most progressive or regressive ideas in the world. And you are totally fine to have those. You are entitled to your opinions, your thoughts, your beliefs, all of the like. But once you start impeding in my, my own journey, my path towards my own spiritual attainments, like that's where things go askew. That's where you have to be, where it has to be called to your attention. Like, hi, this is not right. Um, and sometimes, I guess, in, especially in the case you're talking about, maybe we can expand on it. Like a lot of that might be perceived, like because we see how people are navigating their own world and we are kind of just bystanders seeing how it all plays out. Like sometimes we get the feeling that even if we were to be vulnerable, to be um, authentic with what exactly we feel about either our spirituality or who we are as individuals, like we can already sense whether or not that's gonna be well-received. And I can imagine that that was part of the difficulty of being in college and seeing, oh my gosh, here we have all these strict, you know, mainline Catholics who feel a particular way. And am I going to be okay with them? Definitely. And it was such a push and pull dynamic of I'm pushing people away because I don't want them to know this part about me or this part that I'm figuring out. But also at the same time, it was the pull dynamic of, oh, these are some really great people and I want to get to know them closer, but you can't get closer to somebody if you're closing off a pivotal or what I consider to be an integral part of me. Um, 
So, and I explained that to, to, to them when I had come out, I was like, yeah, there was this push and pull dynamic. Like I wanted you guys closer, but at the same time, I was like, heck now I don't want to tell you about this part of me. That's really scary. So. I think there's something to be said about how even the people who are closest to us are the ones we just push away in these ways, because we are, we're so scared about what their answers are going to be, what their reactions are going to be how a, a very important detail of our lives might lead to a separation of them from our lives. And a lot of us aren't prepared for that reality. Um, I do want to focus a little bit about the queer journey that you've been on in terms of like when you found out that there was something a little bit different for, uh, about you, because I can imagine going to Catholic school for 10 years. Um, I never went to Catholic school, but I did very much grow up in a Catholic community. Like, at what point do you have the inklings of difference? And based off of what you were seeing, hearing in Catholic school, did you think, oh shit, maybe I hold this to myself for a little bit longer? So I would say probably my sophomore year of high school. Um, so with going to Catholic school my whole life, I crushes on boys. I was like, oh, I wasn't boy crazy, but I had my fair share of crushes. They didn't ever pan out into anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my sophomore year, I went on that retreat that I had I'd gone on um, with my youth group in high school. Um, I went each year, so I went four times. And my sophomore year, um, I was in this group with this one person and she was the group lead. She was one of the two group leaders of, of I think we were like the, the pink group or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we do these things called warm and fuzzies and you can, um, your names are up on like a little uh, manila envelope on the wall and, and you write something warm and fuzzy to somebody. Um, and you, you can give them to anybody you want. Like there were over a hundred people on the retreat. So you obviously wouldn't have to write them to everybody, but I would write them to my friends or the people in my group. And so she had written one to me um and she was saying like even though I like really just only got a chance to talk to you like this weekend um I feel like we really connected slash she said something like maybe I feel like I've known you my whole life kind of thing um, oh my god some... just like, <gasps> yeah stars, stars yeah and we just we we had good conversations so I could see why she had said that like we had a really good rapport going during that um retreat weekend and so she goes if you ever wanted to, uh if you want to ever want to talk more or whatever here's my number and she put it um in the warm and fuzzy at the bottom and so I added her number to my contacts and at the time I uh, also liked this guy and um ended up dating him and going to prom with him but ultimately realized I was like oh I really don't like him and why is it not exciting I should be more excited when he asked me to prom because that's something I had wanted to do why am I feeling a little bit more excited about and nervous about this girl than I am with this person who became my boyfriend why why is there excitement in this other area but not excitement in this like my first high school relationship Mm -hmm. so I was like interesting something doesn't add up here And kind of what was your exposure to queerness at the time? Because I, I will say, I did mention that I did not go to Catholic school, but I went to mass every week. I was an altar boy for 10 years. Family was as involved as a family could be in Catholic school. Um, but because I grew up in a sheltered community on the border, it was heavily Mexican-American. There mm-hmm. weren't a lot of queer examples for me 
to look toward, um, especially within a Catholic context. So I'm wondering if that was easy for you to see, like were there other queer people in your life, either within these Catholic worlds or just in your own personal life that kind of gave you a, a bit of an understanding that there was something to be um, unraveled? There were not many queer people in my life. Um, there still aren't. There definitely more, are more than there, there were, but uh, I went to a pretty small high school, like a 600-ish kids, and mm-hmm. I think I could probably name on less than, maybe less than one hand, but definitely less than two hands, the number of LG, out LGBTQ people at my high school. And I know 600 is small, but even so, like less than two hands, like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. You can imagine there being, I would imagine there would be more. And maybe that's just because I, I would love for the entire world to be queer because queerness is fun. <laughs> but um, let's talk a little bit about the, the aftermath of, you know, realizing you were a part of this group in college where you were surrounded by these strict Catholics or these perceived strict Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through that journey a little bit between realizing that you know, you were, you were up against these particular folks who might not be as accepting and perhaps how things might have turned afterward. Sure. So after that realization, sophomore year of high school, I was like, okay, we're going to box that away real neatly. And um, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to deal with that when we get to college kind of thing. And so I did, I did uh, develop those friendships um, with those people and as I got closer, I was like, oh, this is getting scarier and scarier because um, it's so much easier to say to a stranger, hey, I'm gay. And if they don't like it, then you're like, okay, screw you. Like, I'm not going to ever see you again. Yeah. But like we touched upon before, that vulnerability was so scary. And I ended up coming out to them um, my ju- fall semester, my junior year um, to about like eight people. Uh, And I I had wanted to do it before studying abroad because I was going to be going to Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland in the spring semester of my junior year. And I figured, you know, now's the time to tell them in the fall semester because if there's fallout, when I come back, I'll find new friends or I'll hang out with my other friends. But I had felt like there were some loose ends that I'd wanted to kind of tie up before I left. I, I appreciate you, you talking about the, the preparation. I feel like all queer folks are prepared, have like the backup plan should shit go down, right? Like if something happens, if you're disowned, if everybody hates you, if you just lose communication from folks who you cared very deeply about because of the reaction to your sexuality, what's my plan? What am I going to do? And I, I kind of love the fact that you're like, you know what, if I go to Scotland and everybody hates me, middle finger to the world because I will have had an opportunity to divorce myself from them while mm-hmm. I was gone. Yeah. And I, at the very least I could be proud of myself in saying that, well, I said something kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was either a cut my losses, which I hope was hoping that I didn't have to cut any losses kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or I could, or, you know, instead of catastrophizing, I could be like, Hey, I say this, they accept it really well. And our relationships grow even stronger um, when I return, while I'm gone, um, et cetera. And so I would say up until then, like I had had pretty positive experiences with coming out to people. Um, And then 
with them, it was also pretty positive as well. Um, we were all hanging out on like a Friday night or something. And we were going to do uh, the 36 questions that lead to love, which is a New York Times article. And it's based on a psychological study that says mutual vulnerability fosters closeness. So it was just a chance for um, all of us friends to like dig a little deeper with each other. And these group of girls, I love them to death. We have like heart to hearts, I would say pretty often. So um, there's definitely no shallowness in the relationships that we had had with each other um so this was like right up our alley kind of thing I think maybe it would have made some other people uncomfortable because it's like oh what's your most <laughs> treasured memory and or what's your worst memory and people are like oh god like you know they don't want to dive that deep but uh we really liked these questions and I think it was like question number 13 or 14 and it was like what is something you've wanted to do for a while and why haven't you done it and I was like oh, okay, I think this could be a, a good opportunity to say something, but also, like, internally, I was like, ah, like, what? screaming. <laughs> like, Gabby, so, moment, choose another moment. Exactly, exactly. And so somebody said skydiving and somebody said, uh, you know, visiting the Grand Canyon or something like that. Um, and then the conversation kind of, like, stalled and we just talked about some other stuff. Um, and so I went into the bathroom. I brushed my teeth. I put my Invisalign back in. And I was like, you? And I gave myself a pep talk. And I was like, <laughs> you are going to go back in and you are going to say it. Because this is a really good opportunity to say something to people. And um, so I, I jazzed myself up. I went back in the room. And then um, I was like, hey, guys, do you like want to continue the questions? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, one of my friends was like, but let's move on to the next one, because this is where everything derailed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, can uh, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, really, Sarah? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> Sarah, if you only knew what I just had to do, gave myself a pep talk, try, I've been trying to tell you all this very important thing for the past several months now. Why are you doing this? Exactly. So I was like, okay, let me commandeer this conversation and, and uh, try and get it back to this question. Um, and I was like, oh, can we actually, uh, can we actually continue that question? I want to, like, I want to say something and I want to hear everybody, everybody else's responses. Um, and then she was like, okay, she was like, then go ahead. And I was like, I need, <laughs> in my head, I was like, I need like five seconds, like, please. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And so, and, and then I was like, really somebody else go and then, and then I'll say what I want to say. And so then I think my friend Amanda said something, but at that point I was probably blacked out and couldn't, <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> what she said at all. I just know that somebody went before me and then I went, said what I wanted to say. And I, I'm pretty sure I went something like this, something that I've wanted to do for a while, um, but haven't done is, uh, come out to my friends at the uh, Catholic Center. Um, a reason that I have, the reason that I haven't done it is because I was afraid of losing um, a community that made UConn feel like home to me. Um, and I was afraid that maybe people's dedication or their, or their love of uh, Catholicism or their religion um, would trump their, their love or acceptance of me something along the lines of that. Um, and at the time I had been going through a breakup relatively recently and I hadn't told any of them about it. Like I told my other friends um, and I had told them that too. I was like, I've been going through a breakup recently and I 
you know, I felt like I couldn't like tell you guys this stuff. And um, I, I got the looks that they were giving to me where they were like such soft eyes and soft smiles, like, like Gabby, like what? <laughs> you could have told us this kind of thing. Um, and that was, I, I just remember looking out into, into the group of people and being like, what were you ever so scared? And I remember thinking that, but I know that it was, everything happened on the right time frame, like God's time frame, and, and stuff like that. But it, it, you know, there was a little bit of regret, like, oh, dang, I should have done this sooner kind of thing. But I love the way that you, you describe it as God's time frame, because I'm a very big believer that things happen at the moment that they're meant to happen. Like, if you're very heart set on something happening at this particular moment, and if it doesn't happen, instead of being upset, just put it to God and say, you know what, whenever it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. I'm here. Use me as you will. Do not use me as you don't want to, you know, whatever the, the case might be. But I, I really do believe that that moment was the right moment for you and that those people were the right people to be surrounded by. Um, and I think it's because God hopefully knew that you needed that comforting environment to be able to reveal something so significant and so personal. Do you yeah. think that that's the case for a lot of things in your life? Like you think that there's like that things are operating on God's time frame, and you're just you're privy to it, but you're not necessarily uh, in in as much control as one would imagine being. Yes, I would say I I think pretty much everything is on or not pretty much everything. I would say everything is on his his time frame. Um, in the Lord's time frame, in some way, you can try and force something as much as you want, but if it's not supposed to happen, then I don't think it will happen. I mean, obviously, you know, you have your free will and you have to make some decisions in your life for things to happen. Like you didn't just drop into, into Massachusetts. Like, you know, you made actions <laughs> to get from New York to Massachusetts, but th this was where, this is where you're supposed to be right now. Mm -hmm. so, so it has been a couple years since this coming out process took place a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say has been one of those lasting effects from that moment in these ensuing two years that you recognize came from that moment and came from that coming out that you still feel its presence either in your day-to-day -day or just especially with the friendships you have? I would say some lasting moments from that would be give people the benefit of the doubt I think people will surprise you. Not all, but but some will. And if they really care about you, give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's not to say that you shouldn't give strangers the benefit of the doubt or anything like that, but they can surprise you in the best way. And that goes for friends, that goes for family. Um, you know, if, if you're not in an environment to safely come out, then you, I'm not I'm absolutely not suggesting that you do that because, um, you know, I don't want anybody's safety to be threatened. But I would say, yeah, give people the benefit of the doubt. And then also from that conversation was if you think that there might be a community of people that are what you are, um, maybe do some research and try and find that. Um, and because after that, I had found out that um, one of my friends from the Catholic Center was um, also gay. And he told me about out at St. Paul's and I that my exposure to that had started with um, mass and a picnic in Central Park with a bunch of other queer Catholics and some priests. And I remember calling my mom after that or, or calling my 
calling my girlfriend at the time um, and being like, I just ate dinner with a bunch of priests and a bunch of other gay Catholics in the park. I was like, what the heck? Like, who would have <laughs> thought that that existed kind of thing? And so start trying to do some research or if you hear about it from other people um, to maybe find communities of like-minded people or people that are like you. Because I, I'm telling you, when I was at that picnic and when I was at the retreat, I had never felt more at home in a Catholic community. And that is no knock against the Catholic Center at UConn at all. But that is just to say that I was like, oh my gosh, this there are 65 other people that are like me. And they're just as Lord loving, you know, <laughs> community service oriented people as those other people that I met in college. I'm glad you brought it back to the retreat because I want to remind everybody, as we started the conversation, I said I met Gabby at this retreat last year with Out at St. Paul's, which is the LGBTQ ministry in New York that we were both a part of and still a part of uh, in the tangential ways that we are now. But the theme of last year's retreat, which is why Gabby gave her testimonial, was intersectionality and the beauty of our identities and the beauty of all the gifts that we bring to church and bring to the Lord based off of who we are. And you obviously were talking about the fact that you are adopted, you are queer, you are Asian American, you are somebody who, you know, exists in the in, in a church that always seems to look, and this goes for a lot of queer Catholics, like we just feel completely separated because of the, the traditional straight aspect of it. But then when you factor in all the other identities that you have, like I can imagine the difficulty of finding a home and feeling community. So if you can talk a little bit about that as we kind of near the end of our conversation about making sure that because of all of these things that you have as an individual, all of these God-given gifts, what is it like now creating community? And what is it that you absolutely need from your community in order to feel completely whole? So I would say, the first thing I would say is, it's not a competition of who's thricely marginalized or who's like, you know, four times or whatever. Like, it, you know, you shouldn't feel threatened if somebody is more marginalized than you or less marginalized than you kind of thing. But just there is so much importance in recognizing that we don't live single issue lives. Um, and I think that that was the, the terminology used by, and I correct me if I'm wrong, somebody can look this up, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Kimberly Crenshaw, the person who, coined the term intersectionality um, had said that. And, you know, our whole lives are traffic intersections. You have all different parts of your identity intersecting and they interact in different ways. And mine is different than yours and is different than yours. And so I think something that I've realized from just learning about the diversity of the human experience is <clears throat> in a community, I don't need to be accept 100% accepted by everybody. I just want there to be an open-mindedness there. I want there to be uh, people being able to recognize that my experience is different than yours. And I want to hear about yours. I want you to hear about mine. I want us to all share so that we can learn from each other. But if you don't completely get what I went through because you're not me, that's okay. I just, there needs to be some openness and some vulnerability there to both share stories, but receive them as well. So I would say those are openness and vulnerability and at least try, 
the attempt to understand, even if you can't fully under, if you're so, if you're like, I can't understand because I haven't lived that, just the effort um, needs to be there. I think in a good, in a good community, the effort needs to be there. I love that. Well, for our listeners who are curious about kind of your journey and if they want to keep up with you on social media, are you comfortable sharing your social media with folks if they want to follow you? Sure. Um, So it's pretty simple. It's just uh, at Gabby Horton. So G-A-B-I-H-O-R-T-O-N on Instagram. And um, yeah, you guys can follow me there. My messages are always open and this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I'm I love it. Ears. <laughs> I love it. And just a reminder to everybody, you can follow us at heyhorter.com or at H-E-Y-X-O-R-J-E and myself at Jorge O-X-O-R-J-E-O. But Gabby, thank you so much for joining me for this. And I want to end by saying peace be with you. And with your spirit. <laughs>